Wow. One try. I shut everything down on my phone. It actually went on one try. We are live. This is Riley Presnell. Hello. Hello. I'm Trevor Jaffe. I hope you know that by now. Uh, no hat, because the mohawk I've been hiding for the better part of four months. I've already shaved off, so we're back to bald, because bald is beautiful. This is episode 14 of the Strength and Success podcast, and we're titling this one 6 out of 10, which we will explain in a second. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Dr. Evil? <laughs> I'm I like evil. To, I like to refer to him as my Dr. Evil boyfriend when he uh, when he shaves his head. Evil is the only way. Yeah. Are they ill-tempered? They're extremely. <laughs> well, that's a start. <laughs> we have sea bass. That is hands down one of the funniest fucking movies. What's the chick's name? I didn't hear you. Shut up, Chris. Nobody likes you. <laughs> He's always so mean to me, and all I do is try to be nice to Bridgeford. Chris Bridgeford I, is Riley's sister. I, I share, I share, Her brother. Your, I share your videos, and I tell people that you do great stuff, and this is how you repay me. It's fine. It's fine. I'm keeping tally. He's bitter. He wants dad's approval more than you. <laughs> That's awesome. Maybe we should bring Chris on. Chris, you want to come on? We have fun talking about six out of ten. Um, Six out of ten. So I don't know if any of you know who Peter Lynch is. He's a investor who wrote the book One Up on Wall Street and Learn to Earn, which I gave Stacy, and she said it was the driest book she ever tried to read in her life. But he <laughs> you got to just be into the finance thing. And, and when you get old enough, you start to really understand how important your personal finances are. But in a segment of One Up on Wall Street, he talks about six out of ten. And what he means by that, if you bought ten stocks, and only six of them progressed over a 10-year period, and each one was equally weighted to 10% of your portfolio, you would still come out ahead. Which is very, very important concept to grasp because we're always trying to swing for the fences and hit a home run every training session, every meal, every night's sleep, every week, every whatever. We go up and out of our way and freak out over every single session, and we overanalyze and overstress. Overstress is key because our body only knows stress. It doesn't know training stress, work stress, life stress, whatever stress. And when it hits its threshold of stress, we go backwards unless we take time downtime. So I like to look at this as, and same thing with high school, the minimum passing requirement is six out of 10 or 60%, which is a D. I'm not saying you should be a D student. I'm not saying you should be a D lifter. What I'm saying is if you're doing better than six out of 10 over that 10 year period, you're going to progress, which means you're moving forward, which means you're getting the job done. You're getting closer to your goals. You're achieving something. So I always like to look at it as when I have a bad day, or if I have a bad week, or if I, like somebody asked Riley about her meals and cheat meals and whatnot, if I made more than six out of 10, I'm progressing. Mm -hmm. You just have to decide what your 10 things you have to do are to progress and make sure you've got six of them done. We cannot be on and perfect all the time. I wish we could, I wish I was perfect, but I have so many imperfections. Um, but I always try to make sure that I'm getting my six out of 10 because then I know I'm making progress and I'm stepping forward. And in the long run, I'm going to see an exceptional amount of gains from that six out of 10. Yeah, we talked about this once before where if you, if you, even if you have one piss poor, terribly awful training day per week, that's still only roughly 20% of your um, training days per year. So if you think about that, that's an 80% passing score for the year. If you have right. one absolutely awful, just in the fucking gutter, training session or even like if this applies to your nutrition if you have one bad day a week that's not going to absolutely murder you as long as you're on track the rest of the days so i think that trevor makes a really good point with like kind of the analysis paralysis part of training absolutely is that you know it's like i get this a lot from lifters where they're like today was dumb or ugh this sucked or just something else super super negative and the first question i always ask is what did we fail like, well, I, I didn't, I didn't fail any of the reps. I didn't, I didn't hit anything. It just didn't feel good. Cool. Get over it. <laughs> That's a step forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Was it a home run? No, but it's a base hit. And you get enough base hits, you move the player along, you score a run. If you didn't fail anything, like, uh, I had one, I had one lifter one time who was actually complaining about hitting a set of four at 85% once. And that's hard. Like, four, she actually hit four sets of four, four at Four sets 85. of four at 85% which we talked about was actually like a volume PR. Yeah. And all she saw was how hard it fucking was. Yeah, she was like, this was hard. It should have been easier. And I'm like, 85% for four is challenging anyways. And you did it four times. Like, that's still a win. So she was so hyper-focused on the negative that she was unable to see the positive aspect of it. And like, if we were perfect every single session, there'd be nothing to work on. So why would there need to be coaches? Why would there be rankings? Because you would be perfect all the time. So everything would be just smooth sailing and you never have to work hard for anything. So it definitely, um, 
a, this topic definitely appeals to like the analysis paralysis type crowd where you know it's just if everything does not if your pinky toe does not isn't in the right spot you just think that everything's off and if you're not wearing the right shoe one day you think everything is off or you know you over calculated your macros by 20 calories so everything's off and now you're just pissed off about it it's just it's a little overwhelming when all you do is focus on the negativity of every single session of everything you're doing. So focusing on the positives of how you are moving forward is way, way, way more beneficial than like hyper-focusing on the negative things that you could have done better, I suppose. If you know you can do better, then do better. Yeah. Uh, It's one of those aspects of am I doing enough to progress versus am I doing everything perfect? Because we will overanalyze, like you said, analysis process and create that hysteria that doesn't need to be there. If you are making progress, you're making progress. And that's the goal, is to keep pushing towards the goal and keep the goal the goal. Um, the second you hit it, you can reevaluate it, look from there. But this applies to so much more than just lifting in our, our sport. This really applies to your life. Am I progressing in life? And I, I have certain metrics that I'll look at to see if I'm progressing in life. Uh, am I happier? Am I living the kind of life that I want? Do I have the people in my life do I want? Um, am I avoiding the situations I don't want to be in? Am I avoiding the communities I don't want to be in? I keep my circle pretty small. You'll see I'm not part of the, uh, the super elite clique. Uh, I'm friendly with them and I'm polite with them, but I don't belong in the super elite clique. I don't want to be part of the circle jerk. I want to do my own thing and enjoy the people I do it with. And that doesn't mean chasing attention for me. It means chasing results. I'm very results oriented. And so that's in my 10. Attention really isn't in my 10. Uh, We do this for you because it, it provides quality to me to give you value. So that's why I put up the tutorials. That's why I put up the podcast. That's why I do the Q and A's and the whole nine is because the more value I provide to you, the better I feel about myself. And that's, that's part of my 10. That's how I'm progressing. I don't look at it as like, if my total didn't go up, my life sucks. And some people really do. It's something we talk about that. Yes, you should absolutely care about your total. You should absolutely care about your goals. I would never tell you they're stupid or you shouldn't care about them, but people will determine their happiness or their Mm self-worth by their total and that's fucking dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you have a better quality of life and you are happy in your life, your total is gonna go up Mm -hmm. because you're so much more motivated to enjoy things and do things and work for things. If you put all your reliance in whether or not your total goes up, you're gonna be miserable and it only gets worse. It's a downward spiral, which is why I say always have that mindset of six out of 10. Yeah, whenever I'm having like a shitty life uh, phase, I guess, my lifting is always way worse. So if I were to bank all of my happiness on lifting and like life went wrong too, and then my lifting went wrong, then like Trevor said, my self-worth is going to be absolutely in the gutter and I'm going to have a really, really hard time pulling myself out of that. So, um, I also have those markers in life to where it's not just about lifting. Like, yeah, I'm a competitor and I want to do better and I will always aim to improve, um, and compete. But the things that are more important to me are coaching, my relationships, my friendships, my, um, you know, stability in life, like Wait, all these things. You've been hiding some friends? I have like two. <laughs> I've isolated everyone but you. <laughs> I pretty much only see you and I talk to like two people. No, it's really, really important. This is also something we've talked about in several walks. Your friend circle is going to change yeah. and that's not a bad thing. I will still reach out and talk to older friends, mm-hmm. but I don't give them the same attention and time because they're not part of my 10, my six out of 10 now. The people who progress my life are in that aspect, which is why we always you know, tend to hang out together and talk together. That's why people like Chris are always on here talking to each other. Um, Chris went from sending me topless nudes to bottomless nudes, which is interesting because he's really proud of his leg growth. We're focusing on his quads. <laughs> a little jealous, not going to lie. <laughs> the quad mommy is a little upset that you're giving me quad shots now. But um, it, it, it's something that I like to talk about. And we always we, we keep the success portion of this pretty brief. But I think that's something that people need to understand that life evolves and life changes. And if you're doing your 6 out of 10, it's going to evolve in a way that you want it to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did we get any questions in the live? So Somebody far? did ask. Yeah, you guys are welcome to ask questions on the live. We answer both questions that are sent over and get over it. Pieces get <laughs> over it. Questions that are sent over and questions that are we have from our stories through the week. And somebody asked about, it's up here about protein. Uh, I want to make sure I read this correctly. So it's a little bit up here. And he asked about protein for strength. Uh, what do you recommend as protein for strength? And I'm assuming they mean protein source. And this is something that, People get confused on it. It's mostly supplement marketing. 
we know that something like whey protein is very bioavailable and highly anabolic as far as muscle protein synthesis. But the reality is if you're not getting enough protein, it doesn't matter at that point where it's coming from. If you are deficient in protein that you don't have enough to rebuild and repair, it really doesn't matter. And then there are some protein sources that are incomplete, like collagen protein. Your body doesn't absorb collagen protein and use it for muscle protein synthesis. It uses it more for like gut health and skin and hair and nails and stuff like that because it's an incomplete protein, mm -hmm. meaning it doesn't have all eight essential amino acids. Nine. Nine, sorry, all nine essential amino acids. Same thing with some vegetable proteins, so you tend to have to blend them together. Yeah. You're gonna get a blend of proteins through different things. You shouldn't necessarily rely on one or the other. The only reason why you would use a protein supplement like a whey protein or a casein protein or an egg protein supplement is to make sure that you're not deficient from solid food because we get busy or for convenience or controlling calories. It's an easy way to control calories and make sure you get the right amount. Um, we know anabolic window doesn't necessarily exist post-workout. There's still amino acids circulating in your system. There's still carbohydrates circulating in your system. So you don't necessarily have to go to the fastest acting protein, but some people like to do that. So they have something like an egg or a whey because they digest relatively rapidly and they cause less stomach discomfort for some people. Um, before bed, I tend to like casein protein. It's a slower digesting meal protein. So it keeps me a little fuller overnight so I don't wake up hungry and it's a little bit of a slower breakdown. But if you're having whole intact protein from lean sources of meat, it really doesn't matter so much as long as you're getting your protein requirements met. Yeah, there's a lot of studies that are out that tell you, um, you know, like one to one and a half grams per body weight is what you need. And this is more for an athlete because I actually have seen people argue that you don't need that much and that may be less for people that aren't trying to build muscle mass or preserve muscle mass. So if you're a regular average Joe who doesn't want to lift at all, then yeah, you probably don't need uh, one gram per pound of what you weigh. But if you're lifting, then you it's somewhere between one to one and a half grams per pound. So like I... Uh, walk around around 155 so that's what I aim for every single day and Trevor made a good point with like vegan proteins um, when I worked at supplement stores I had a lot of vegans that would come in and they would only want to buy only brown rice protein or only pea protein or only this and I would always try to recommend a blend because like he said just one by itself won't contain all nine essential amino acids so you do need the blend of like uh, pea brown rice and can't remember what the other one is, but um, those combinations are important. But generally, if you're eating well to perform, you probably don't need a whole lot of additional powders or ready to drinks. Like if you're eating solid meals all day, like generally four to five solid meals with like a good um, portion of protein, you're probably a lot closer to your protein goals than you think. Um, I mean, I supplement with one protein shake post-workout and then one before bed, and that's about it. And other than that, I'm not taking in um, a whole a whole lot extra of like powders or bars unless we're busy yeah. traveling then we'll have like the bars just because it's convenient it's easy to get in I like bars They're so delicious though it's like a treat for me uh, shout out to Jared there he just told his first 2k total he's coached by Josh Bryant he came to one of the mm -hmm. seminars at Death Before Dishonor and he says the squat cues helped him squat 755 which nice. was huge uh, so I really appreciate that I'm glad Jared had a good day so thank yeah, you congrats one of the things we were talking about last night is like cricket protein. <laughs> oh, yeah. <I laughs> it came out with a study like cricket protein was like the best ever protein. And well, so people were manufacturing cricket protein. It was uh, sustainable. It was like right. part of a sustainable movement to where, you know, you could rather than, uh, um, you know, living off of animal protein and like processing and all that stuff. It was just saying that crush up crickets and put yeah, it in Yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of the first things they teach Air Force pilots is how to eat bugs and worms and stuff yeah. to survive should they ever crash land, which actually did happen uh, probably like 15 years ago. It was supposed mm -hmm. to be a movie, but never did. But the guy survived by eating like bugs and stuff like that. And so bugs. cockroaches, bugs, <laughs> and cockroaches. So you know, any viable animal protein source is going to be complete. The vegan protein sources, you might need to blend them, mix them a little bit to make sure you get all nine essential amino acids. But really just make sure you're getting your minimum protein requirements, which is, it can, there's studies all over the place. It could be as low as 0.88 per gram of body weight for an active training to all the way up. And um, Jose Antonio has a study of like two grams per pound of body weight showing muscle growth. One's not better. You know, it's just one fall of those somewhere in between fall there. somewhere in between, whatever you like to do, whatever preference is, just make sure your calories match your goal, whether it's surplus or deficit or maintenance. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions we got in the Q&A was best and worst client story. Let's hear it. Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like See, if I choose the best client, I'm going to have so many fucking people mad at me right now. It's not, it's not a best client. It's just like a best story. Best client like, story? Yeah, best client story. Um, okay, I got a good one. Okay. Right. Best or worst? This is this is best client story because it deals with the psychological aspect of competition day. Um, 
there was a Rockwell meet. It wasn't held at Rockwell Barbell. It was held at like a CrossFit gym. It was great. And Alexis was deadlifting. And oh, I know this yeah, <laughs> so she was really fucking fast with her deadlift and kind of had like a little up down at the top of the first one and got two white lights. And then one side judge said, you know what you did, right? And she goes, yeah, I bobbled up and down. I'm like, first of all, never bet that to the judge. But second, <laughs> second of all, uh, don't do that again. So she goes to do her second deadlift and she does the same thing. It came up really, really fast. She bobbled up and down. She got three reds for that one. They caught it on that one. And she says, what do I fix? And I was like, oh, it's, it's just too light. I'm like, it's just too light. I'm going to go to PR. And she's like, what? I go, yeah, you're moving it so fast because it's so light. I'm going to make it heavy enough so you can't move it that fast. And she's like, okay. And so I did. I brought it to a PR and sure enough, it moved a lot slower because it was heavier than she's ever held in her hand. And she locked it out slowly, but she locked it out and held it. There was zero bobble. I didn't change anything but how fast she was able to move it. So that's a, a great like best client. So like very much in the moment at a meet, taking the fear and doubt and worry about what do I need to change what I do because you don't want to change anything really on meet day. But I just took that mindset away from her of how fast she can move it by knowing it was going to be heavier that she couldn't move it that fast. And it actually solved the problem. She had a PR and PR total day. She actually won best lifter that day, if I'm not mistaken, from that pole. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so that was pretty cool. Um, so I feel like this is hard. Like I feel like I don't have any like notable ones that stand out like specifically for best or worst. I feel like the worst one that I have is more so from me like I had to kind of be a dick um and I really didn't want to like I really try to communicate in a way that is like positive and optimistic and whatever all the time you know just very honest or to the point but uh there was one time and I still work with him but and he's great now but there was one time where I had a client who every single week squatting high pulling with straps not pausing the bench every single week. And I would say, hey, we're not hitting depth. I really don't want you to use straps. I don't want you, you know, you need to pause. All these things. And this, I was repeating this multiple times every single week. And eventually it got to a point where, you know, like in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm just repeating myself over and over again. And that gets frustrating as a coach. And then it got to a point where he was getting frustrated because he felt like he wasn't seeing any progress. You know, and he's like, well, my maxes are going down. Things aren't moving in the right direction. Um, getting pissed off. I don't understand what's going on. Like, why is why is the program not working? Like, just not having a good time. Yeah. And, um, you know, at that point, I had, like, kind of reached my limit a little bit. And I was like, all right, let him have it a little bit. So I had I sent him a message back. And I was like, look, I'm going to be totally honest. Like, your mindset about this is absolute trash. Like, it is just it's the worst and I'm so tired of hearing about it. And I was like, I ask you to uh, squat to depth every single week. I ask you to stop pulling with straps. I ask you to pause your bench. Um, I ask you to do all of these things and you're not doing them. So you're holding yourself back. And I was like, and also you're going into every session with a piss poor attitude and that's not helping you either. Um, I kind of let him have it, you know, and it was like, Afterwards, it felt, it feels good because I'm like. <laughs> it felt really good to fucking yell at you. <laughs> it, it just, it felt good to kind of let it out because, you know, like it, it just felt like things were getting to a boil, right? And they were coming to a head and it was really hard to not have that conversation with him um, and not feel like I was just being an asshole. Like I really was truly not trying to just be an asshole. I was really trying to be constructive with saying, hey, these things will get better if you squat to death and all these things and like hold yourself to a high standard and he wasn't and so uh i was like man i'm getting fired like i just <laughs> i was it needed like, to be said though yeah i was like i'm yeah. getting fired and you know if he does then he does and that's fine um he actually didn't respond for like a couple of days and like eventually sent me some more training videos and you know started asking like um was this was this to depth was this paused i didn't use straps today like all these things um so I guess like my worst story is kind of my best story at the same time because now he's holding himself a little bit more accountable um, and he's making sure that he's filming from an angle where I can see depth. He's making sure to pause his bench press. Um, he's not going way off program and adding 60 pounds to a lift and then not com uh, completing it to standard. You know, he's following like a good linear progression in order to see results and he is seeing better results. We haven't had any sort of testing, but he's hitting some good rep PRs. He's feeling better. He's hitting depth. He's more a little bit more mobile. So there's still some things to work on, but yeah. So I guess like my best and worst is kind of rolled into All one, one because it started off bad and then it's kind of getting, it's getting better now. My worst was the first client I ever had bomb out of a meet, um, Joe Milslagel. 
who I love, I still coach him to this day. He's fantastic. He's going to be doing a bodybuilding show. And he's one of the most important things for Florida powerlifting, believe it or not. Because he promotes and pushes and sponsors so many meets that he doesn't have to. He trains on and off at Jordan Wong's gym, Showcase Fitness. He'll be there. Uh, I love Joe. But when he was really, really new to powerlifting, his strength gains came really fast. And he took his heaviest bench before the meet. And it was 420 and it flew up. And the first thing I said to him is that wasn't even close to the pause. Like not even close to the pause. He basically just bounced and went. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, it felt easy though. I'm like, of course it did. You didn't even pause. <laughs> and then so I gave him a range that I wanted him to take his attempts in and open him. And that was supposed to be like, hey, if you feel good, maybe 424 for a third. Um, Joe opened at 424 because the 420 felt so easy in the gym. And Jordan Wong had actually texted me like, do you tell Joe to open at 424? I'm like, absolutely not. He didn't even freaking pause 420. And sure enough, Joe had to take three attempts at 424 to learn a very valuable lesson that one, you listen to your coach, two, you don't listen, lift or compete with your ego, you follow the plan. And that was the first and only time he's ever bombed out. <laughs> but it was the first time I had a lifter bomb out, which was really frustrating. I was literally in the middle of training in my old garage and I was throwing shit around and I was angry. <laughs> oh my God damn him. Um, but I love him so much and he's so important to Florida powerlifting now. But back then, it's something that people need to learn is that it doesn't matter what you open with. And if you miss your opener for any reason, take, take it, it again. again. Yep. Don't be the ego lifter who jumps up anyways because it was easy. If you missed it because of a command, whatever, stay in the meat. If you miss your second attempt and it felt easy for whatever reason and you want to go up, I'm cool with that. You're, you're taking a it. shot. You're still in it. Yeah. If you miss your opener, for no reason should you go up. Retake it. Get in the meat. Stay in the meat salvage the rest of the day on squats, deadlifts, or bench, whatever you have to do. But if you miss your opener, and she's had a lifter to do the same thing, if you miss your opener, you do not go up. You take it again. You stay in the meet. That's just really the biggest ego thing that people have. And that's one of the reasons why people bomb is they try and open too heavy to impress people, and no one cares what you open with. It's what you finish with. Yeah, Hannah. (laughs) Not the last meet that we were at with Death Before Dishonor, but the meet before that, she uh, there was some miscommunication with, like, rap. You know, she was in raps, and timing got off fucked up and she missed her opener and she she jumped to her second and you know she called me and after she bombed and she was like um so I bombed and I was like why and she's like well and she's like well I didn't really make the best call and I was like okay what happened and she's like well you know explain this whole situation for the first and she's like I missed my first but I went up on my second anyways um, she's like, and I missed that. So I took it again and I couldn't get it. And I was like, well, that's something you had to learn. And she's like, yeah, I know it's totally my fault. She's like, I definitely, uh, you know, wanted like a higher total at the meet and blah, blah, blah. She ended up blowing that total out of the water her next meet when she didn't bomb out because her, her, uh, total counted. So yeah, I feel like everyone bombs out at some point, but you never want to. You never want to. No, here's a great question from Chris. And then we'll go up to another one that was from Sejul. Uh, what's your experience with bench frequency with lighter weight female lifters? Mm-hmm. It's a great question mm-hmm. because you have some guys who bench the house who will only bench like once a week. But the female athletes who are lighter framed, and he's talking about like 114, 123, 132, some of them need to lift three and four times a week yes. for the bench to improve it. Not just from a mechanic standpoint, but getting used to holding that weight, holding that structure. Um, some of them can get technical fast, but they just need to have more upper body muscle mass, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more challenging for the females to build than it is for the males to build that upper body muscle mass, which is one of the reasons why Riley like pioneers and champions, women's doing doing pull-ups to build lat strength and build up a big, strong upper back because the ability to control that load is in the upper back. So, and I love that too. She, she loves like the big PR for her is when women can do their first ever pull-up. Yeah, it's real favorite. challenging. So for the lighter females, the bench frequency and the volume should actually be a little bit higher because it's easy to recover from bench. Let's be real. No one's, no one's like, oh man, I had a real heavy bench yesterday. I'm tired. You say that after squats and deadlifts. If you say you had a real heavy bench yesterday and you're tired, you better be Julius Maddox. Because <laughs> <laughs> like if you got if you got winded benching 315, you're just out of shape. Um, so the women tend to need a little bit more higher frequency, a little bit more barbell work mm-hmm. to build that upper body mass and, and strength to help them progress. So that's probably why you see a lot of women progress faster in a daily undulating periodization program because of the frequency and specialization. Yeah. Any of the lighter weight females that I have, if they are on a five-day split, which most of them are because they generally want to build more muscle, Mm -hmm. um, they are benching three times a week. And generally what I do is twice a week I have them do like their full range bench press, whether that's like a tempo, a pause, a long pause, uh, Larson, whatever it is. And... um, one day it'll be full range and extended range. So like a Buffalo bar, flat back, um, any kind of specialty bars that they may have, even like a Swiss bar. So a little bit extended range. The second day it'll be another 
full range and then a partial range. Like I like the floor presses um, so that way they can learn to like grind out a bench and like get their triceps involved. And then the third day, I generally like to do dumbbell work. Um, like I'll give them flat dumbbell presses, pause at the bottom and incline dumbbell press. And I do like to have them do overhead press. Not necessarily that I think that it correlates over to a bench press, but just from a building muscle standpoint, like building up their shoulders, um, teaching them to stack their torso underneath them. So I find that the lighter weight females generally always do three days a week. And then lots of, um, lots of pushups. I like close grip pushups to failure. I like the pull-ups, usually like a neutral grip pull-up. So that way it's not like, um, that way they can kind of get more volume there and keep building. But yeah, generally all three days a week. That prison pump plan. Yeah. So I really all the like ladies it. are going to get that prison pump plan. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, like if you're, if you're a lifter of mine, that's lighter weight, they can probably attest that they have pull-ups in there minimum once a week. They definitely always have a push up in there. Uh, lots of inverted rows to oh, yeah. just things to mimic that bench path. Love inverted rows. All right. So we had a good question from Sigil here involving beginners and limited equipment. Tempo or high rep work for beginners who train at home with minimal equipment just to make it more challenging over the period of time. Well, the uh, load and intensity and volume is what should challenge them, not necessarily the equipment. But um, if you have a beginner, then yeah, you need two things for that beginner. One, you need skill practice, but also you need a certain amount of volume because they need more muscle mass and they need to build potential muscle mass, potential strength. So I would equate to both. Uh, if you're teaching them positions, I would I would use tempos on one squat session or one bench session a week so they can learn how to control tempos and pauses. And then the other session would be a little bit more of a higher volume, so high reps, 8 to 12 reps. Let them build muscle mass under that time under tension with those loads. There's no reason why I would pick one or the other. I would definitely use both for the beginner. And realistically, someone doesn't need much more than a barbell, some dumbbells, and maybe a cable unit. If they don't have a cable unit, they can replace it with bands. What they need to learn is consistency and effort. Uh, effort is great. Consistency is great. If you can get someone to combine both of them, they're going to go very, very far. The amount of equipment doesn't matter as much as the attitude that somebody approaches their training session. Yeah. With the beginner, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stray too far away from anything that's like a normal pet. Like I wouldn't do a whole lot of variations anyways. So even if they are or aren't limited on equipment, generally beginners are doing a lot of like the basic movements with slight changes, like the tempo, like the pause work. Um, but more skill practice is what's needed. So they could be in a fully, it could be like a very green beginner lifter and they could be in a fully equipped gym with every specialty bar you want. But they're, for me, they're probably not going to get something that's like super, super uh, crazy variants. Like they're not going to get weird bands and chains and like they're not going to be necessarily on any like super specialty bars. I'm going to make them do like the competition lifts a, lo a lot more frequently, um, add in the tempo so that way they can learn to hold their position under time. But I don't. I think that it's more skill practice than anything with beginners. Yep. They got to learn to control the pattern and they got to learn to strain. But then they also need to build muscle mass on top of that to help them for potential strength gains later. So that's where the tempos are. Yeah. Going. Yeah. Don't shy away from, you know, one of the most old school programs and it worked for so many people. This is like predating GOMAD, you know, the gallon of milk a day is the 20 rep squat program. Mm -hmm. There are so many bodybuilders from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even 80s who built massive legs and massive squat strength by doing a 20 rep, 20 rep squat protocol of working up to like two sets of 20 reps on absolute squats. And it pushes you mentally. You really start to learn how to strain when you are absolutely out of breath and still going for three or four more reps to hit that 20. Yep. Um, I think I'm going to do 20 rep squats tomorrow. Damn it. <laughs> now I'm in the mood to die. Uh, next question is, what's the max amount of lifters you'll coach at the same time? The max amount of lifters I'll coach at the same time? Well, now that I have Chris back, it's going to limit how many people I can deal with because he's very <laughs> attention-eating. Um, I've had as many as 109. That was kind of on accident. I didn't mean to. I just said yes to too many people. I will usually cap myself between 90 and 100 because that's when I can give the best service. It really, and I, I hate saying this to the athlete, it really depends upon their level of communication mm -hmm. because it gets harder when someone isn't a great communicator with you and you have to guess or chase them down. I won't chase anybody down anymore at my, at my point. I won't constantly chase them down for updates. And I'll, when I send their program, I say, hey, I could use some updates. I can use some feedback. Let me know where you're going. But I have my systems in place that allow me to do that. Like I have my deep work hours in the morning where there's no social media and no communication with anybody. Uh, I'm not on social media until after 2 p.m. I'm off social media by 10 p.m. So you can only reach me from 2 to 2 to 10 p.m. on general days, most days, through social media, unless it's like a Sunday. I don't program on Sunday, so it's Monday through Saturday. I have a select amount of people that I program each day. So I space it out over time and communicate back and forth, and I try to filter everyone to one area. So I have everyone 
send me their training videos through Instagram if they can. So it's all in one area. So I don't have to come back and forth between like Facebook, Instagram, text message, email, and the whole nine or WhatsApp. Um, I think that's what slows a lot of people down is when they allow sparsity to happen and it's in so many different areas. You have to really finalize where you want your communication. So anything that has to do with their programming, it's gonna be emailed. Anything that has to do with their training videos, it's gonna be Instagram and that's it. If they can't follow that structure, I'm not the right coach for them and I'm okay with that. I don't wanna coach everybody. I just wanna coach people who want the help that I can provide them and that's it. Yeah, I answered this on my story a little bit already, but I will, I don't like to limit myself, so I'm not gonna set you know an arbitrary number and say, well, I can't coach more people than this. Um, that's not beneficial to me and I don't think that way. So I'm going to coach as many people as I can, not in a greedy sense, but I will help as many people as I can that I feel that I can adequately give them my best with. And that ultimately comes down to my scheduling and my structures and my system. Um, if I want to spend three days a week doing nothing, then, and I only you know can squeeze in programming on three days, it's probably not gonna be conducive to me being successful in communicating with mm -hmm. them. So as long as I am on top of my schedule, my prioritization list, and my time management, um, I feel like I can take on more. I could probably take on 15 to 20 more if I wanted to. Um, so I don't necessarily have an arbitrary number to throw out here, but I will stop myself when I feel like I cannot adequately respond and give the best feedback anymore. Yep. Um, so I don't think that there's a number listed. No, and not, not everyone's going to fit your mold. And that's mm -hmm. why she's the same way. She has systems in place on her way. She likes to do the social media in the morning and the programs in the afternoon and, and vice versa, a little bit different than my schedule. But uh, I think it's James Clear who said, we don't rise to our goals, we fall to our systems. Yeah. So whatever it comes to achievement, whatever systems you have in place to help guide you there, get you there, that's as far as you're going to get. And if mm -hmm. you don't have systems, that's why a lot of people get overwhelmed. And yeah. it is overwhelming when you get you know, three to 400 messages every day, seven days a week. It can be very overwhelming, which is why I put those systems in place where for my deep hours in the morning, there is no social media on my computer at all. You know, the only way to get a hold of me is with my phone number and less and less people have that these days. So I'm harder and harder to get a hold of in the morning. They can email me, but I always remind people there really is no such thing as a powerlifting emergency. That just means you were unprepared. So if you're in the gym on a Thursday and you're asking what you're supposed to do and you got that program on Saturday, that's your fault for waiting five days and waiting until you're in the gym and expecting to be, you know, expecting your coach to be on call and drop everything. I have kids, you know, I have a girlfriend. We have things that we do. So we have time together. So like Jake, we had dinner with Jake for two hours Friday night in Iowa at Fong's. By the way, if you go to Fong's, Get the Fungolian, ask for no peppers and onions, it's amazing, and you're welcome. But he was like, I can't believe you guys put your phone face down for two hours. He's like, that was really impressive. Um, and I've been guilty of not doing that before. We've gone to dinners where people are pissed off, and they're like, he's a robot, he's on his phone. I have to work. <laughs> and sometimes they're like, they're not in my circle, so I'm not to worry about it. Jake's a very good friend of mine, uh, I love him, so I don't get to see him or talk to him very often. My phone went face down for two hours while we had dinner, and we talked about life, and talked about business, and different things. So you have to kind of pick and choose, which means if you were in the gym at that hour, and you're like, hey, I don't know what this is, is you should have done it or sent a question when you got your program so it's not just managing your athletes it's them managing your communication systems as well so they can get the best service yeah um, you get your program ahead of time for a reason to ask yeah. questions and we actually talked about this last night that it is overwhelming um, when like we've spent you know eight to ten hours at seminars and meets all, all day and then come back to like a hotel room or come back home and have you know 50 to 100 messages to answer just mm -hmm. to respond to and then also 20 programs to work on and like that is very overwhelming um those like situations you kind of have to take it one step at a time like the more important thing in that moment is getting programs sent out and on time so generally like when we go back to a hotel room or back home the first thing that we'll work on is sending those programs out to make sure that everyone has them on time so that way they can ask questions ahead of time and yep. not in the gym and then after that it'll be responding to videos and feedback because they've you know, they've already been kind of waiting there. Like Trevor said, there's no powerlifting emergency. So prioritization and time management is key when it comes to taking on more athletes. It's just key to life. Yeah. That's, yeah that's <laughs> the it. best thing you can ever do is understand and learn time management and blocking blocking your time and owning yep. your time. You own it. Uh, that's why when someone says they don't have time, I'm like, no, you just don't manage your time. Yep. Everyone has the exact same clock, 24 hours, seven days a week. It's the same for every person. You just don't manage your time. Yep. Uh, how long have you been coaching full time and what did you do before? It's my first day. Uh, <laughs> uh, full, full time, I guess it's probably been two and a half years without another job. You say that's accurate? About right, yep. Two and a half years without another job. Um, before that, it, I mean, it's probably been collectively 
four years that I've been coaching, but one and a half of those has been with another job. Um, before that, I was a store manager of a vitamin shop. Before that, I was a store manager of a GNC. Before that, shift supervisor of a Starbucks. Um, but most of my time spent with my jobs outside of coaching was spent managing and running and selling supplements. God, when did this become like a full-time thing? So I started training people in November of 2001 at 24 Fitness. I worked my way to management there. And I was also competing alongside that a little bit, a couple years after that. And as I was competing, several athletes would reach out for help with their programming or technique help and so forth. And when I left 24 Hour Fitness because I didn't like the corporate world, I opened my own gym. So I had a gym for about seven years. And while I was doing that personal training studio and gym business, uh, more and more people kept asking for help. It actually started with nutrition programming. So I did a nutrition program for a lot of CrossFit, CrossFit athletes, weightlifting athletes, powerlifting athletes, because I was known for going up and down in weight classes and things like that. Um, and then it spiraled into more and more powerlifters who just wanted remote coaching because the internet was taking off and people would get to know who you were and who you work with. You know, at the time, I mostly worked with Florida-based athletes, and I would travel around and meet with them and do things. But it just spiraled off to a point where I no longer needed to own the gym, so I sold the gym and started training people just part-time. I kept my clients that I thought were cool. I didn't want new clients. <laughs> so my clients that I thought were cool were the ones I kept because they kept my schedule. So it gave me something to do Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It gives me a reason to get up every morning and do that. Uh, because I wasn't as great as managing my time back then, so that gave me the reason to have a, a set schedule. So I would train like two people in the morning, get the program work, train myself, uh, get a little more programming work, train like two or three people in the afternoon. So like three to four people a day, three to five people every day, that kind of thing. Um, when I moved from Coral Springs, which was also about two and a half years ago, I no longer kept any in-person clients and I no longer had any desire because I didn't know anybody up here. I no longer had any desire, but I didn't need to because at that time I, was, I just kept like three days a week of clients and I already had somewhere around 90 plus online clients and I stopped doing nutrition about four years ago. I actually just wrote a program for her. It's the first one I did in about four years <laughs> for her showdown prep. And it's been a while. I had to remember how to do these things. But it got to a point where I no longer needed my other clients or business or whatnot and it was so overwhelming. And that's how I, I mentioned earlier, I didn't realize I got to 109 clients until one day I added them all up and I kind of like, oh shit, I have 109 clients. Uh, Cause I didn't realize that, which was a little bit too much at the time. But I got really, really good at managing my time and having my structure and having my schedule. But I didn't intend to ever do this. It was never my job or goal to be an online or remote coach. Instagram didn't exist, Facebook didn't exist, YouTube didn't exist. It was just starting when I was already lifting and competing. It was just growing. This is just something I fell into because so many people kept asking for help. So I guess I'm kind of one of the pioneers of online coaching. Um, it wasn't my intent to do that. It just it just happened that so many people wanted help and it grew to that and it became my main source of income. And who doesn't want to work from home in gym shorts and t-shirt all the time while listening to you know Alexa play your favorite movie uh, movies and soundtrack and whatnot. So yeah. it's kind of nice. There's a good amount of freedom of not having to work for anybody else. But I promise you, if you don't have self-accountability and time management skills, you're gonna go crazy. You're gonna have a bad time. You're gonna have a really bad time if you don't manage your time. I don't watch TV. Um, I don't waste time because to me, I look at time as a clock. Like, you know, uh, am I losing money by wasting time? I will go to like movies or dinners and stuff like that because that's part of our social time together. But I don't, I don't waste time doing things that don't matter. Yeah, we're gonna go see The Conjuring this week. <laughs> the Conjuring Three. Yeah. Or I guess do you call it Three or is it like a whole other spinoff? No, it's, I think it's the Three. Three. All right, yeah. Conjuring Three. Um. Okay. What about building muscle? <laughs> What, this is a dumb question. What roids build muscle fast? Effort. Your steroid you want is effort and consistency. If you actually have to ask that question, you are not consistent, you're lazy, and you're just looking for an easy fix, and that's not gonna fix your problem, it's gonna make you worse. I'm sorry I'm not calling you out, but listen, if you don't do one, two, and three, don't fucking worry about four. Yeah. Yeah, I could not have said that any better. <laughs> I'm um, sure I didn't miss any questions, so I'm going up. I'm getting better at communicating. Nope, that's all the questions, okay. all right. Um, how to fit training with a very physical and time demanding job. Thanks. That's tough. Um, that's really tough. If you have a very physical and time demanding job, your program probably needs to be minimal. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of volume, not a lot of accessories. You might actually be working with a little bit more of a near maximal weight as far as the main movement and not a lot of like secondary movements, but you know, your accessory work is going to be that or I've had some people do uh, high frequency training but low volume training what I mean by that is like three days a week where they will do a squat a press a back accessory and like a hinge mood of some kind on each of those workouts and they can be very very simple in structure where the, the first day is a main squat day they'll do like a bench accessory 
uh, a back accessory and a hinge could be as simple as low back extensions for high reps. And then the second day is gonna be the main bench day where they'll do like a main bench movement, a press accessory, a back accessory, uh, something like lunges for the legs and single leg RDLs It's not too taxing because the third day is gonna be their main deadlift day. And then they'll do a heavy deadlift, something like a heavy row, uh, another form of squat. So it could be something like Zercher squat, which goes very great with the deadlift. And then some type of press accessory, it might just be push-ups or dips or floor press, like the, the prison pump calisthenic stuff. So the first thing I'd look to do is minimize volume and loads to deal with the amount of work that you have physical structure. Uh, the other thing I always ask them is, how's your nutrition? How's your sleep? How's your hydration? Because if you're working a very physically demanding job, you must make sure that you're getting adequate calories and that you're adequately hydrated, especially if it's an outdoor job. It's very easy to get dehydrated. Yep. Uh, the third solution to some people's problems, if they have the schedule and available to do this, is to do their main lift first thing in the morning before they work when they're freshest, and then do everything else after work in the evening when they're not as fresh. Yeah. I have a couple of lifters who do just manual labor. Um, one guy is in Australia, and he has a pretty physically demanding job, and like there are some days where he works 10 to 12 hours. Um, and generally, his performance only dips when he's not prepared. And by that, I mean he's not bringing his meals to work. He's not um, hydrating very well. It is Australia, so it's really fucking hot. Oh, God. Uh, just like Florida, you know, and or probably And every hotter. bug that she fears or spider or snake on the They're planet there. is in Australia. I'm, I don't want to go. <laughs> every part of wildlife in Australia literally just wants to kill you. Yeah. So <laughs> um, generally his performance is only dipping when he's not doing the things that he needs to. He's on a four-day week training split with me two upper uh two or two bench days a squat day and a deadlift day um i try to keep his workouts around an hour and a half or so like i don't give him you know six different accessories um he communicates with me pretty well and when things are feeling a little bit too like too much um but he sees the most different performance when he does not make sure that he's eating his meals and he's hydrating and all that stuff um he has a terrible session if he eats poorly like if he grabs fast food terrible session every single time like without fail so he is someone who has to meal prep um i have another kid in idaho who also works a physically demanding job once again 10 to 12 hours he's moving around like steel pipes that are like hundreds of pounds all day and then he lifts later at night um he's kind of like a no excuses type of guy like he's the one that i mentioned before got hit by a car and like still went in and like lifted and whatnot but <laughs> this is but a scratch yeah so he, uh, he's also on a four-day-a-week split, kind of the same thing as I mentioned before. Um, but he definitely doesn't do the best when he's not preparing what he can either. Like, he makes sure that he gets his calories in. Um, he's hydrating. He's on top of what he needs to in order to control his training. So that way we don't have to modify his training or reduce it too much. Um, so I think a lot of that does come down to how prepared that you are going to be um, during the day, during your work hours yeah is there somewhere st showing all of your guys seminars that are currently already scheduled ah so you're late to the party very late uh we've had about 15 this year and i am taking off we are taking off in between now and the showdown and surge meet power surge meet so i'm not doing any seminars until after october mm -hmm. uh i think the first place i'll actually be uh, if you're if you're at the show that I meet, come say hi. It's in Kansas City, and then uh, to both of us, and then we're competing in Chicago for the Power Search meet. But the right after the Power Search meet is the Broken Barbell meet in St. Louis, Missouri. We'll be out there with Patrick and that. So it's a WRPF meet. Uh, it's in my story. You can find the link on Bearded Braun, his page. I will repost the link again in my story throughout as the week goes on. So they're giving out like two thousand cash prizes. It's a monolift meet. Uh, WRPF is fun. We'll be refing that meet. You'll be out there. And we did a seminar last time we're out there. Maybe we'll do another one again. I don't know. But no seminars until after that because I am tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were like fun for a little while and then we kind of hit our... I mean, like they're still fun. Like we, still have, a fun. Good, we have a good time together and we have a good time like seeing people. But like our moods and our like body language coming back from like these last three trips it's like we're just sunken into the chairs on the yeah. airplane it's just yeah it doesn't feel great so i think the only two that we have um planned after surge and after the showdown is the broken barbell one i think that's october 30th and we're judging um we'll be judging that meet and then we also are tentatively going to be in chicago for a rockwell meet in december also judging um, yeah, had fun, Michael. Had a ton of fun. <laughs> uh, sorry, you lost the double overhand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think those are the only two scheduled. St. Louis, the very last week of October, 
or not St. Louis, St. Charles, the very last week of October in Missouri for judging, and then tentatively Chicago for a Rockwell meet in December, we're also judging. Yep. And whenever the Go Strong gym opening gets rescheduled, I will be speaking there. That's in Florida, so no, no out-of-state trips. We're but also judging. Yeah, we're judging meet. the Go Strong meet in July. I'll be judging the Showcase meet, Jordan's, Jordan Long's gym in um, June. So I have a – that's – RPS. RPS meet, we're judging that one. WRPF meet for the Ghost Strong meet, we'll be doing that one in July. And then whenever they have their actual grand opening, I'll be down there as part of their grand opening and doing a lecture on training, presentation, programming, and so forth. So that would hopefully be in July, if not August. Yep. Um, I think we have time for one more. So right. how long of a break after a meet do you think is optimal before you compete in another? Uh, a great question. And really, that it, it, it depends on your experience level. Look at it from a periodization standpoint. Um, anytime Usain Bolt has lost, it has not been in the Olympics. So I want to reiterate that because when you're an Olympic athlete, the meet you're preparing for is the Olympics, which is every four years. So if Usain Bolt lost to like Tyson Gay, the American sprinter, it was usually at like the world championships, which didn't mean as much to him. You're only going to be able to peak your best for one event. That doesn't mean one event ever. But if the if the events are too close, like whenever he would lose the world championships the same year as the Olympics, he won the Olympics. Like he was like, I know I need to be my best at the Olympics, because that's where it's going to make me the most money, give me the gold medal for the Olympics and the most notoriety, versus, you know, the world championships in, in track and field is, is nice, but it's it's like it's like winning best lifter at your local meet versus winning best lifter at the current. Mm -hmm. One matters a lot more than the other. It matters to you, but it doesn't matter as much in the grand scheme of things. So peaking-wise, you have to pick which one you're going to peak best for. Now, I've done meets, and I will be doing meets that are one month apart this year, but I'm only going to peak for one, and that's going to be the first one. It's going to be the showdown. I'm going to just walk into the power surge meet and have fun and just take whatever's on the bar that day, but I'm peaking for the first one. So you can only peak so often. As a newer lifter, you can probably do a little bit more frequency of meets. Some people will compete every like three to four months just because you're gathering experience and knowledge and getting to know people and do things. But if you truly want to be your best, you're going to have to take some time in between, probably somewhere like five to six months in between meets to really grow. And whether that's for some people, that means moving up a weight class, putting on more muscle mass training, getting better technically prowess and so forth. But if you're competing all the time, like let's say every three months, it's really hard to progression there because you're always in testing and, and not really in the building phases of your, your programming. Yeah, I've had a couple of lifters who've tried to do three or four meets in one year. And I'm like, sure, you can do it just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. But, um, you know, like they, I'm like, okay, that's fine. We can do three meets a year. Like it, if you want to, but you're not going to be building much in between those. So I can't guarantee 10, 15, 20 pound PRs on each lift every single meet because you spent no time building from that, like that first meet that you right. did, whatever total you got, you're jumping essentially almost into another prep almost immediately um, to get to, to make it to three meets a year. So there's no time spent building on that first total. So I can't guarantee you that you're going to have massive PRs every single time. If you're a beginner, then yeah, you'll probably squeeze a little bit more out because you just need more practice and more uh, time doing it. But if you've been competing for a little bit, a little while, or you have a little bit more training years under your belt, you're not going to be hitting these 10, 15, 20 pound PRs every single meet. It might only be five. It right. might be the same. It might go backwards. <laughs> it's just... For perspective on that, I went from a 600 to a 700 pound deadlift in a little over a year. Mm -hmm. To go from 700 to 800 pound deadlift, it took me five. Yeah. The stronger you get, the longer the time you need in between. So I gained 100 pounds in just about a year from six to seven, and I gained 100 pounds in five years after that. Yeah. If it didn't slow down at some point and take more effort, more work, and more diligence, we'd all be benching 1,000 pounds by now. Yeah. You know, if we could just add five pounds every session, we'd all be stronger. It's going to take a lot of time. The most and fastest progress you're going to make is in those first two years. Yeah. And if you're, if you're still here after those first two years, congratulations. And it's going to really slow down. you got to really love this if you want to be here 15 plus years later. I've been competing for 16 years now, um, so it does take time. Uh, I actually think we do have time for one more, and it's Michael's question. Are we going to answer Michael's question? We'll oh, he's going to get an ego. <laughs> well, so we'll answer Michael's question. <laughs> um, so, in your opinion, does bellless squat deadlift help build awareness for holding tension? What would be the top percentage to work up to? I've seen some people say 60 to 65%. Okay. Uh, we actually have talked about this frequently in the past couple weeks, is that I feel like the threshold for when you quote-unquote, should throw your belt on is 80%. You should ideally be able to do everything below 80% without a belt on. 80% is where it starts to get hard and you're more in those strength ranges of numbers. So if you feel uh, safe without the belt, 
that's your own personal preference, I guess. It's like a warm um, blankie. Yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on the lift. For me, I can lift a hundred and five percent without um, without, <laughs> without, without a belt right? for, for every sumo PR is beltless on the road after like an eight hour seminar and just like no sleep. Yeah, uh, until we eventually crash from that. Yeah, it's a great question. Really, it boils down to the psychological aspect and how much confidence you have in the bar. The literature shows you that it doesn't necessarily help you carry over to the squat training beltless, but it does help you carry over to the deadlift because you learn how to build spinal erector strength and not rely on that intra-abdominal pressure. So it benefits you more to train your deadlift beltless than it does to train your squat beltless. However, from a confidence aspect, the bigger you can get that number without a belt, the more confident you'll be with the belt under a squat bar. Absolutely. Because squat is really that lift that creates the most fear for people because we have the weight on top of us and we have to stand back up. But I wouldn't do that for volume. Like I recently had a lifter who tried to do a top set of five 80% without a belt and she got crushed. Um, not crushed, she got like four reps. But nonetheless, it wasn't wise to try and do a set of five with 80%. It would have been wise to do one rep at 80%, maybe one more rep at 85%, and then back down to the actual volume work at 80% with the belt on. You know, I've gotten to a point in the past where I would train beltless where I think I got to like 91% of my max squat beltless, somewhere around there. Uh, my sumo deadlift, I can do like 98% beltless. I've just gotten really, really comfortable beltless with sumo. I usually only put it on closer to competition time or if fatigue is really high. If fatigue is high, I put that belt on because I'm not going to be stupid. Again, <laughs> I've done it like 18 times. Um, but it, it's more of a self-confidence issue and how confident you feel under the bar. So when you train beltless, you're really creating more, not just spatial awareness, but confidence under the bar. And that's why it's important to sometimes push that number up before you belt back up and put that on there. Yeah, I don't know that it necessarily, like, well... Training beltless on the squat definitely makes you, definitely forces you to hold and maintain tension in your mm -hmm. brace because if you lose it, you're a limp noodle under the bar in the hole. It also so, slows you down. Yeah. You're not going to rush a rep when you don't have a belt on. Right. So um, I definitely do think to a to a certain point, mostly psychologically, you are forced to hold and maintain that bracing and that tension. Um, but the problem sometimes is is that if you spend too much time. If you spend too much time beltless on the squats and then you throw a belt on, some people get a little bit relaxed and they don't feel like they have to build as much tension because they have their belt cranked so motherfucking tight around their waist for squats that they like can't even breathe into it. Yeah. You know, so then they're just like they're tightening their belt as tight as they possibly can, and they're like, "I'm good now." You need room to grow into the belt. <laughs> yes. So if they're just, if you're just cranking your belt as tight as possible on the squat and then being like, "I'm good. I don't even have to breathe." You know, I'm just I'm held tight here. You're gonna have a bad day. Um, so I definitely always recommend a little bit on the loose. Like you should definitely be able to fit like two fingers in between the you and your belt. So that way you can breathe into it. So you should still be bracing and holding tension as intently as you would beltless as you do with your belt. The belt is just a tool to help it improve, like more of a proprioceptive tool rather than anything. Like it's going to obviously keep you safer, but you shouldn't change anything about your tension, your stabilization once you throw the belt on. And shout out to geared lifting because they will tell you we're all geared. It's just how much gear you want to use. Wrist wraps, belt, knee wraps, knee sleeves. It's all gear. The shoes you wear, it's all gear. Mm -hmm. So we're all geared lifters, whether you like it or not. It's just a matter of how much gear you choose to use and what it's classified as. But every one of us uses something to assist us. If not, you'd see people going to meet without wrist wraps, without mm -hmm. belt, without knee sleeves, without anything. And you don't see that anymore. That was known as the Iron Man division. And that's gone. Yeah, suckers. Yeah. <laughs> Raw my ass. <laughs> All right. So that was a good episode. Thank you guys for the questions. I appreciate it. I would also really appreciate it if you guys would share this to your story or just wherever. Leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts because it helps grow the podcast, get more information out there, and we get better questions because more people are listening. Yeah, send so us questions if you have them too. Yeah. Like we'll save them and answer them on the podcast. We save them and answer them on the podcast. I think we have a couple we didn't get to, so hopefully we'll hold them off for next week. Uh, I had a grandma. Yeah, strangely. A grandma messaged me asking about would I coach someone who doesn't compete, and she's a grandma. I thought that was really Really, really cool. Yeah. Maybe she's just like a cougar. I don't know. She's, she's going to have to back off. She could be. She could be a cougar. She's going to have to back off. <laughs> but uh, that was really awesome. So thank you guys for joining us. I appreciate it. And we will see you next week.